The reading is taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 16, beginning at verse 1. It can be found on page 525 in the Old Testament section of the Church Bible. In this psalm, we read of King David's complete dependency upon God and how the Lord is everything to him. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol, or let, or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures for evermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Richard. It's lovely. I can hear this lovely ticking noise in the background. I don't know if you can, you can hear it as well. So obviously, they used to chant the Psalms, didn't they? Do you remember? So obviously, they want me to chant this sermon, don't they, that we're, that we're going to bring. Should we try it? No, let's really not. Let's, let's, let's really not try that. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're going to look this morning at this theme of contentment and what that means. So shall we pray together? So Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity. In you we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's Wednesday, isn't it? This Wednesday sees the arrival, doesn't it, at the cinema for one final time for our favourite on-screen archaeologist. You know who I mean, don't you? No, no, no. Well, at last, after many years of anticipation, for some of you, maybe not, Harrison Ford reprises his role as Indiana Jones. 
He's 80, you know, and he's still throwing himself around. Apparently, he takes his shirt off in the second scene. That's the only spoiler I'm going to give you just to end just to whet your appetite to be first in the queue on Wednesday. He's even, it's even showing in Jersey before it's showing in America. Can you believe that? There we go. Well, if you know anything about Indiana Jones, you might know that in an earlier film in the series, there was this storyline that centered around the intrepid adventure searching for the Holy Grail. The legendary and mysterious artifact, if you like, said to be the chalice which Jesus drank from from the Last Supper and which by drinking it you would possess immortality. You know, both in ancient times and still today, humanity has and is still searching for the Holy Grail. That Grail is, if you like, the chalice of contentment. That in our quest for life, somehow we would find the secret to experiencing this full cup of satisfaction, of gratification, of meaning, of purpose. And today's psalm from King David speaks of the Holy Grail of contentment. David calls it the path of life. You show me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And in your right hand pleasures forevermore. Now here's what we need to know just at the start about the, the path of life. The path of life had this twofold meaning. First of all, it was an Old Testament wisdom term from the book of Proverbs. That by following it, it led you to contentment. Or by following it, to quote Jesus, to use a different metaphor that has the same meaning. That you would find life in all its fullness. And for the wisdom writers, only the wise could achieve it. The wise were those who obeyed God. But also what that path of life meant, it also meant by walking along it now, you would experience contentment, life in all its fullness, in the here and now. So it doesn't just have a future reality, it also has a present reality. And as we, we look through this psalm, what we'll see is it will become evident, won't it? That this biblical path to contentment, the path of life, it kind of like, it's in sharp contrast, isn't it? To the culture of today. For contentment isn't found in what you have, but who you know. The path of how to find contentment in today's world, often it's typified, isn't it, by this word more. If I just have more. You know, you can, you can complete the sentence yourself, you know, if we just have more time, more money, more possessions, more experience, more, more friendships, more whatever, or I'll find the contentment for which I'm searching for. Whereas this psalm, if you like, what it presents before us, is both the, it describes it as both the foolishness and futility of searching after more, that it doesn't actually lead to a path of life, but actually leads to a path of death. If you're following it with me, look, it's on page 525 if you don't know, but look at it in verse 4, because David just describes this, the foolishness of more. 
Why? Because it just multiplies your sorrows. In other words, that what you're trying to achieve by more, you won't. You'll only exacerbate the stress and anxiety that you're trying to get by getting that little bit more. It just traps you. It leaves you exhausted, wanting that little bit more. It doesn't leave you content, David argues. It leaves you discontented. Perhaps I wonder why we live in a world where more people are stressed, anxious, and on the edge. David describes, if you like, the path of more, the path of death, as not only foolish, he describes it as futile in verse 10 because of how it doesn't lead to life, does it? It just leads to death. We'll come back to Sheol in the pit in a minute. Contentment isn't found in what you have, but who you know. You see, more is just never enough. It's the antithesis of what it means to live contently. David says paradoxically, and as Jesus said, as we know quite well, that contentment is actually found in less. For it's only in God that we find true meaning and satisfaction. And so David says to us, not only is this biblical path of how you find contentment at odds with the culture of today's world, so too is the very goal of contentment of what you experience because today what we're searching for is this goal of this state of perpetual happiness whereas the biblical goal of contentment is to experience joy Joy through encountering the presence of God. If you like on earth as a foretaste of what it will be like in heaven. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's joy that's this mark of living a content life. Joy is different from happiness. We know this, don't we? Because happiness depends upon what happens to us, where joy is this state, condition within. This deep way of being that we can all experience. It was C.S. Lewis, wasn't it? C.S. Lewis found this to the greatest surprise. When he was an atheist and he became a Christian, he thought he was going to be the most depressed person out there because he just thought being a Christian wasn't going to be much fun. And then he realized how joy is not found in things, but in a person, Jesus Christ. Contentment isn't found in what you have, but who you know in knowing Jesus Christ. It's why if we, we look through this psalm, and if we were to just look through it, and if you ask me to say, in one word, tell me what this psalm means, I would use the word dependency. Because he is King David, completely dependent upon God. You know, most, most scholars think, as we've looked through this series of David's Psalms, sometimes he's been in stress. Sometimes he's been in real need. Sometimes he's read a real mess of his life. Most of them, most scholars think that David wrote this Psalm when he was King of Israel, living at peace. 
In other words, he had everything that the world could ever offer him. And it wasn't enough. If you ask me to summarize this psalm in one word, it would be dependency. If you ask me to summarize it in six words, it would be this. The Lord is everything to me. Because that's what David is saying, isn't he? You know, look at how he describes the Lord. The Lord's my refuge in verse 1. The Lord's my Lord. He's my God. In verse 5 he says, the Lord's my portion and my cup. In other words, the Lord is the all-sufficient one. He's the source of all we could ever need. But he doesn't stop there, does he? In verse 7, the Lord's my counsel. He's the one who I can rely on, who can give me good advice. But not only is he my counsel, he's my leader in verse 8. I keep the Lord always before me. He's the one I follow. He's the one I aspire to. But he's not only my leader. Notice in the second half of verse 8, he's near to me. He's at my right hand. He's my companion on the journey, if you like, my support in the battle, my advocate in the courtroom, whatever other metaphor, definition you want to use, that's what it means. He's my security, even beyond death in verse 10. He's my guide in verse 11, and he's my destiny. It's placed beyond the grave. You, Lord David says, are all I need. For you are the only one who can truly satisfy you to us. So I trust you, God. I depend on you and say, you only have good for me. You're right about everything in my life. Contentment isn't found in what you have, but who you know. In knowing Jesus Christ and knowing that you are loved by him. But what I find most encouraging about this psalm, what if you like I find most exciting about the psalm, if you like, isn't just what King David says here. It's how this psalm then is taken by the New Testament writers. You see, this is how we find, this is why we find it's only in Jesus Christ that we find contentment now and in the future. Because what the New Testament writers were, did was they took this psalm and they saw Jesus. Why? Because of verse 10 and what it says. Because they saw Jesus being the Messiah who rose from the dead. It's why this psalm became hugely influential. You know, just, just think about it. It's known as a messianic psalm. If you don't know what a messianic psalm is, it means this. That it's when the, an Old Testament writer either prophesies or makes a veiled description to Jesus the Messiah. So think about it, you're, you're Peter, and you've got crowds, thousands, listening to you on the day of Pentecost. And you could take all of the Old Testament to start to prove to the Jews how Jesus is the Messiah. And what does Peter do? He takes this psalm. He quotes from the last four verses of this psalm in his sermon to the Jews, to all those gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. What does Paul do on his first missionary journey? He's 
in this place called Antioch. And what does he do? He quotes from this psalm to show how Jesus is the Messiah who rose from the dead. Why? Because to them it's one of the few passages in the Old Testament that foresees a Messiah who would rise from the dead. In other words, that the resurrection of Jesus was foretold in the scriptures. But also because it's one of the few passages in the Old Testament that foresees this hope of eternity. For all of Jesus' followers in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. You know, look with me at verse 10. I said we'd come back to it. For you do not give me up to Shale. You know, Shale was this place the Jews believed that was where you went when you died. And you lived on, but they were never sure how you lived on. You do not give me up to Shale or let your faithful ones see the pit. You know, the pit was this metaphor. It was this metaphor used to describe, if you like, this place of complete isolation and banishment from God's presence. The shale, the place of the dead where they live on. The pit, if you like, this place where God was no more. And of course, as David's writing these words, he can't be writing of himself, can he? Because he died. He died an ordinary death. His body was buried. It did decay and David didn't rise from the dead. Whereas Jesus did die and his body was buried and he was though raised from the dead and his body, because his body didn't decay. Because it was impossible for death to hold him. Paul said the same to the church at Antioch. What David was therefore doing with this psalm was to utter this prophetic word about the Messiah who would be his descendant and the proof of who the Messiah would be would be that he would be raised from the dead. That's what they see. That's why Peter quotes from it. That's why Paul quotes from it. They're prophesying of this future hope. Fulfilled when Jesus rose from the dead. And what that means for, for each of us still today is that even in the, our face of one day our inevitable death, as we're walking from earth to eternity, he's saying we'll reach that final contentment. That in our resurrected bodies we'll find endless unimaginable pleasure. For you show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Contentment isn't found in what you have, but who you know in knowing Jesus Christ and that you are loved by him. It's in Jesus that we find contentment. It's in him. That's why when you... Go and look at what Paul would then say elsewhere about contentment in the New Testament. He'd say these. He'd say this to his prodigy, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, he'd say, There is great gain in contentment, in godliness combined with contentment. 
putting your hope in God. Contentment isn't found in what you have, but who you know, in knowing Jesus Christ and that you're loved by him. And then to the church at Philippi, Paul said this, didn't he? I have learned to be content with whatever I have. You know, what struck me about Paul writing those words is the word learnt. You see, it doesn't necessarily come naturally to us. He had to learn it. He had to unteach himself, if you like, what the Jews might have believed. He had to unteach himself the, what the scholars, of the philosophers of the day were teaching, that contentment was found in self-sufficiency. And rather he'd learnt that contentment is found in Christ's sufficiency. I've learned, Paul says, that contentment isn't found in what you have, but who you know in knowing Jesus Christ and that you are loved by him. Now you know I like books. So while I was on retreat last month in the Lake District, I read, read this particular book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer on the Psalms. Anyone ever read any Bonhoeffer? Well, that's about four of us, isn't there? If you've ever read any Bonhoeffer, this is what I find. Sometimes the language of yesteryear can be tricky to understand. And it can kind of get lost in translation from the 1940s to present day. Sometimes I can find that he uses a bit too many few big words that I need a dictionary to understand what he means. Do you know what I mean? It's that sort of thing. I'm not selling this to you, am I? But I didn't find that with this book. You know, I found on my bookshelf the same book. So this is my challenge to you. If you want this book, it's free afterwards because I've got a second copy of it. So you can take it from me. You know, one of the key points, though, that I took away from this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer was that he said this, one of the best ways to understand the Psalms was to ask, how does this Psalm sound when we listen to it from the lips of Jesus? Why did he say that? Why? Because the disciples once asked Jesus a famous question, didn't they? Teach us to pray, Lord. Because the prayers that they heard Jesus pray had this impact upon them that they'd never heard elsewhere. But those prayers were based on the Psalms. Because Jesus was a good Jew. And the Psalms was the Jewish prayer book. Now, of course, when Jesus prayed, he then prayed the Lord's Prayer, didn't he? Which for Bonhoeffer, all the Psalms could be summarized in the words of the Lord's Prayer. If we have to learn to be content, and we only learn it through a relationship with Jesus, then perhaps, as the disciples saw, it's learnt by praying Jesus' prayer book of the Psalms. Because it's through prayer we have a relationship with Jesus, and through that relationship with him, we find contentment. Because contentment isn't found in what you have but who you know 
in knowing Jesus Christ and that you're loved by him. And so as we close, it's perhaps fitting that we'll close and I'll read this prayer of Psalm 16. And as we listen to it, maybe imagine it being prayed by the lips of Jesus. Shall we pray? Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble, in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to shale or let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand, our pleasures forevermore.